Do you want to work forever? Is there something that you want to do after you retire? Or are you waiting for mom or dad to leave you money after they pass? Our next guest is my accountant and business consultant for over 20 years, Jolene Lowe's. And before we get into the episode, I wanted to share a resource or a tool that I wish I had a couple of years ago that helped or that could have helped me understand how I could retire early. And that tool just helps you put in and plug in some numbers, how much you make, the rate of return of investments, which I actually think we could probably make about 10% on a return on investment over a 20-year period. I'm not a financial consultant and I'm not a, I'm not a financial guy, so I can't guarantee that, of course. But that's a number that uh, I've seen used by some. And you can plug that into the calculator and kind of find out when you can retire. And I can honestly say if you invest consistently over the period of 15 to 20 years and you're young in your career, you can certainly retire early, just like some of my patients did. So you can find that tool at www.coachjpmd.com slash retire early and plug in the numbers and see what you come up with. Welcome to the Practice Impossible Podcast, where your host, Jude Pierre, MD, also known as Coach JPMD, discusses medical practice topics that will guide you through the maze that is the business of medicine and teach you how to increase profits and help populations live long. Your mission, should you choose to accept, is to listen and be transformed. Now, here's your host, Coach JPMD. So, Jolene has been my accountant for over 20 years now, and it's unfortunate that I had to, it, it took me about 15 years to uh, figure out that uh, she was usually right about most of the financial advice in, that she gave me. So today we have Jolene on the show to teach us things that you guys can do to practice impossible, to shortcut the things that I wish I had done several years ago and to hopefully retire early or at least give you the path to retire early, but it's up to you. So here we go. So welcome to the Practice Impossible podcast with your host, me, Coach JPMD. And today we have the privilege and honor of interviewing Jolene Lose, my own CPA and business consultant. Jolene has been my accountant for over 20 years now, I think since I moved to, to Tampa. And I, I don't remember when we started. But, you know, it is said that the wise seek counsel of many, and it's a fool that doesn't take advice. And Jolene has been my wise counsel. And so I want to introduce I want to let her introduce herself and tell us who she is and her origin story or background and kind of give us some tips on how we can practice impossible as physicians in uh, this uh, crazy, crazy world that we're living in. So, Jolene, it's all yours. Well, first, Jude, thank you for inviting me to do this. I always love to do these kinds of things because I get the most value out of my work when I feel like I've provided value to some of my clients. And my getting into the CPA world was really very different. I started my college degree at, as a fashion merchandising major. Hmm. And my mom and dad were great in providing for my college education, but I had to work to provide money for my car and entertainment and those kinds of things. And I got a job over Christmas at one of those big box stores. And I started out as a cashier and I was one of the fortunate people that they decided to keep on after Christmas was over. 
-hmm. And they put me up into the accounts receivable and accounts payable department. And I absolutely loved it. I had always really liked math. I was one of those weird people that took calculus classes as an an optional class that I could take. Hmm. And so I started taking some bookkeeping and accounting classes and realized that I absolutely loved it. And so I changed my major. I got my four-year degree from University of South Florida and then sat for my CPA certificate. I started with a very small firm in Tampa, and I was with them for almost 10 years until they merged with one of the, at that point in time, international firms. And I always said I didn't want to be with a large firm like that because I was afraid they wouldn't take care of my clients like I thought my clients deserved to be taken care of. And I only managed to stay with them for about six months. And I said, okay, it's right. And had the opportunity to merge my clients that went with me with someone who I actually went to high school with. And he and I were together for about 10 years. And then I was out on my own for a while. And then my current partner and I have been together 21 and a half years, which is longer than most marriages last. (laughs) So that's one of the things I like to talk to about with my clients who have partners of, of how you make those relationships last. Because what I tell my clients is that when you're married, you love the person that you're with. But when you're in a partnership, there's always a, or there always should be a respect part of that, but there isn't a love part of it. And so making a partnership last many, many times is a lot more difficult than making a marriage last. (laughs) Well, a lot of people say that you shouldn't, I mean, you shouldn't have partners in businesses because sometimes it's hard for that for you to see that partner is working as hard as you, or maybe not working as, or working more harder than you are. And so, to find that balance in the partners can be tough. How did you find that balance in in your partner? And do you guys share the workload, or do you guys? How, how do you manage the, your client base? Does he have his own clients, or she has have his own her own clients? We both have always maintained our own client base. We've shared space. We've shared team members. But the biggest thing that's made it work is the fact that we have religiously had meetings starting out when we first joined together. The meetings were once a week almost. And then as the practice evolved, we found that it didn't need to be that often and once a month worked. Mm -hmm. But the biggest, the biggest thing we did was that neither of us were ever afraid to discuss something that was bothering us. So the little grains of sand never got to convert into molehills or then ultimately mountains. Yep, yep. And it's always so much easier to resolve something when it first becomes an issue with you than it is when it's festered and you've made it into something that probably isn't as serious mm-hmm. as it really should be. 
And so because you share space, because you do a lot of computer work, I guess, does that give you more time to to have that time to communicate? Because I think what we find in the physician world is physicians may be rounding at the hospitals and they may be going back and forth from different locations, but they never have time to meet. Do you find that it's important to set those times to meet regularly or do you guys meet spontaneously or how, how do you set your meetings? We definitely had some spontaneous meetings because we were, you know, right down the hall from each other. Yeah. But we always had confirmed meetings on our calendars. And I want to go back to something you said that doctors can't find time to meet. And I would say doctors don't make time to meet. Yeah. Because we all have the same 24 hours a day available to us, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. But each of us has to prioritize what's most important to us and make sure that those things that are most important to us actually get on calendars. Yeah. And I think this kind of speaks to one of the topics I wanted to address with you. And that is the the research that Dave Ramsey and his his team did on the top five earners uh, that earned a million dollars in their lifetime. And physicians are not one of them. Uh, Engineers are there. CPAs are there. Teachers were surprisingly there in that list. Management, people in management, I guess, and attorneys. But physicians are absent in that list or on that list. Why do you think that is? And this might make some of your physician clients mad at me. But <laughs> it's okay. I've, I've worked I... with hundreds of physicians over the years. Mm-hmm. The practice I first started with, that was the main category of businesses that we worked with. And at the time that the firm merged, we were dealing with, I want to say, 750 physicians and or physician groups. and Sorry, sorry, 750 physicians that were your clients? That were the firm's clients, yes. That sounds like a lot for an accountant firm. What percentage of that was of your your total book of business? 50%? Oh, no. It was close to 90% of the book business that the firm was doing. And there were 50 people in the firm. So it wasn't like I personally was handling those 750 clients. Okay. Each CPA within the practice had a book of business that they were working with, and they were specifically responsible for everything relating to those clients. And, And that was in the first firm that you worked with, right? Correct. So... Over the span of how many how many years have you been in practice? Twenty. I started working with that firm in 1976. Okay. And I was with them until 1985. So a long, long time. <laughs> so, so the que- why reason why I'm asking the question is because that means that you probably have seen a ton of physicians as as clients in your I practice. Uh, would you say that that's a majority of your business? Because I'm not sure if I knew this. When I first left, it was definitely the majority of my business over the years. Right now, my physician book of business in my practice is around 50%. Still a lot. Yeah. So before we get into, I know you want to answer that question, but (laughs) (laughs) 
So what do you do for the physicians? So you have a lot of physicians in, in the group or in the practice. What are the main services that you provide for them? Well, we are a full-service CPA firm, so we do all of the regular boring kinds of things that physicians need. So we complete financial statements for them if they have their own practice and need financial statements prepared. If they are part of a group, we will review with them and look at how their bonuses are calculated and make sure that everything is handled properly. And then we either file or we file both business tax returns for them or and or their personal returns. Okay. One of the things that we do that's a little bit different, and Jude, you've been part of this for many years, is I won't take a new business client on unless they are willing to do something that we call a year-end planning meeting. Mm-hmm. And the reason to do the urine planning meeting is because of the fact that if we don't meet until it's time to do your tax returns, if there was something that we could have done to help save you money, that time period has passed. Mm-hmm. And you can't ever go back and, and recoup that time period. But we look at not only where you were for the prior year, but we talk about things of what's coming up for you in the next year. And can we project what your income might be? Are there going to be significant changes in your life from this last year to the next year? Mm -hmm. For a lot of my clients, because I've been doing this so long, it's a discussion about how many more years do you want to work? And are you in a position where you can afford to retire? And sometimes that answer to, are you in a position to be able to afford to retire? That that answer is yes. But what I find with a lot of my physician clients is that a lot of them don't have any life outside of what they do for work. Mm -hmm. They haven't taken the time to develop hobbies or have things that they enjoy doing. And so for a lot of physician clients, I've seen retirement is difficult. Some of them have gone into teaching. Some of them have decided to do some locum work. But for, I would say it's easily 25 to 30% of them, they haven't been happy in retirement. Hmm. That's not good for me to hear because I, I find myself really active in wanting to do and learn more and more things. So what is driving that? What What do you think is driving physicians to not explore other things? Is, is it fear? Is it maybe lack of income or inability to retire, like you were saying? Or like what's driving that? I think it could be a combination of all of those things, Jude. I think a lot of times the lack of income is changeable. Because I have, my philosophy has always been to live below my means. Mm -hmm. I drive my cars. I take really good care of them, Mm -hmm. but I drive them until like, like 
the car I'm driving right now has 56,000 miles on it and would have a lot more on it if it wasn't for COVID. Mm-hmm. But I haven't put much mileage on it. They think they need to live in a house that's of the same caliber of the other physicians that they're surrounded with and almost always take on, in my opinion, too much debt to live up to their peers mm-hmm. versus instead saying, "Where? how many years do I really want to work? What is my earning potential over those years that I want to work? And then what do I need to save on a monthly annual basis to get to the place that I want to be when I want to retire? I have so many physician clients who do not max out their 401k plans that live, that are working with groups. Mm-hmm. And, and when I ask them why, the answer is normally, well, I'm putting in enough so that they max, so that they're matching the maximum amount that the entity will match. And my comment on that is, there's a couple of things with physicians. Number one, I'm a huge retirement proponent, as you know, mm-hmm. and that's because of the fact a couple of things, retirement plan monies are not subject to creditors. So if for any reason you ever were subject to a malpractice case, those are monies that the PI attorney can't get to. And secondly, because that money is growing tax deferred. Mm-hmm. And especially for my younger clients who have so many years to grow that money, even though it's not saving taxes for them now, I'm recommending that at least 50% of that, if it's available, go into Roth deferrals instead of ordinary deferrals. But you, you said it's not tax preferred. Or- you don't, the Roth. The Roth is not. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yes. Okay. But the regular 401k is tax, tax deductible, whatever you, okay. It reduces your income that you have to report on your personal return. Yeah. So, so I think what, what it sounds like you're saying is that there's a stubbornness in in our profession to doing whatever we want to do. Like I was stubborn and I admit I, I did not listen to wise counsel 10 years ago, 15 years ago. So I'm now having to catch up on that 401k and all of my retirement stuff. So what would be the one thing that you think physicians uh, are not doing or doing that are not getting them on that top five list of millionaires? My first comment would be that in most or a lot of instances, they're living above their means and they're living for today instead of living for their future. Yeah. And then what I see is what I see in our older colleagues is that they did that, but then now they're in the process of trying to retire and they, they realize that they can't. So they're having to work longer hours or having to, to do things that are outside of medicine to supplement their income, which then takes their focus away from medicine. That's their, their main bread and butter. So I thank you for that insight because I think coming from you and knowing that you have seen so many physician clients, I think it it helps our our audience understand what they can do today to practice impossible to to get that that monies or those monies that they they need to retire. So, what what are three things that you think physicians should do right after residency 
while they're you know joining a group or a hospital with their finances? The number one thing they should do is that the as soon as they possibly are eligible for the 401k plan, they should enroll in the 401k plan. The second thing is that they regretfully in today's market, most young doctors coming out of residency have some kind of student loan debt that they have to pay Mm -hmm. off. So they should find a qualified financial planner and they should put a plan in place that will allow them to get their debt paid off and to know where their finances need to be. And then the third thing would be, and it kind of melds in with two because they go hand in Mm -hmm. hand, but you've worked really hard and you probably like a brand new car, but a nice brand new car doesn't have to be an $800 to $1,500 a month car payment. There are other nice cars out there that still drive nice, still look nice. And so the third thing is don't feel that you have to hold yourself up to what you see other colleagues doing. Yep. And so I've heard a saying said, um, they want you want to be like the Joneses, but most people don't realize that the Joneses are broke. So it's, it's no need to chase those Joneses because uh, it's it's important to to have those three things in order. And I, and I say, and I think I I probably would put two before one because I think if you develop a good financial plan, I think you can pay off your your student loan debt within three to five years of residency. And I can show people how to do that as well. But for sure, I, I love those three suggestions. So give me an example of a physician you feel, because we've kind of been kind of doom and gloom here with physicians, <laughs> but give me, give me an example of a physician that's just crushing it, that's just practicing impossible, that you said, wow, this guy is really doing well. I wish that all my clients were like this doctor. What would be the characteristics of that, that doctor? I'm fortunate that I can say I have numerous physicians that fall into that category because I have beat into their heads that they have to do personal financial planning. They have to have a plan in place. One of my ones that maybe is is one of my favorite because he was he was one of my physicians. He was actually my OBGYN and he was with the first practice I worked with and the the partner in charge didn't want me to work with him because of the fact that he, he was my physician too. Mm-hmm. And the client came and said, if I can't work with Jolene, I'm not staying with the firm. And so the partner in charge came to me and I said, it doesn't bother me. And we put a plan in place for him. And he's been retired now 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. He regretfully had to retire. He hurt his back and didn't have the option to continue working. But because of all of the planning that he's done, literally he and his wife can do anything that they would consider wanting to do. And they will not run out of money before they leave the face of the earth and will be leaving their children and grandchildren 
a nice legacy, even though one of their children is a doctor out in California and he's doing very well on his own. And he's already started the saving philosophy. Mm -hmm. And their other son is in management and actually works for Robert Half, who finds um, accountants to place in CPA firms. And he also has done really well in saving too. So he's one of my, he's my favorite success story, but I am fortunate that I have numerous other clients that fall in that category. And so with changing healthcare reform and and things changing with reimbursement and and doctors just getting into more debt coming out of residency and, and, and medical school. Where do you see healthcare going in the next 20 years? Jude, you know that I'm fortunate that I've worked with a lot of physicians that do risk management. And so I was very fortunate that I had a client that got involved in that when I knew nothing at all about mm-hmm. it. And at the time, it was JSA who now has moved, merged through different companies. But I literally spent hours at JSA's offices learning how to read the reports and what they meant and, and what did my client need to do differently to not only be a physician, but be a business person. Mm-hmm. Because regretfully, you don't have time to take business classes when you're going through residency and and getting your degrees. And most physicians that I see come out as physicians, but most of them come out as really bad business people. And medicine, it didn't used to be that way. When I started practicing, almost any physician could make an extraordinarily good amount of monies in their practice. That's not the case in today's market. The physicians that I see that are going into practice now, they have to run their businesses like a business. They have to be aware of how they're practicing medicine and making sure that they're doing, making smart decisions in how they're running the book of business that they're responsible for. Yeah, and you mentioned risk contracts and, and JSA, and the JSA was a huge managed care organization. They ran mainly capitated medicine or capitated payment arrangements for primary care physicians. And and that that's where I think it's going. And I think you're spot on because it's about managing patient populations. So whether you're in managed care, capitated managed care fee-for-service, these insurance companies are coming down and providing value-based care that is really focus on managing the patient population with their diabetes care, their mammograms, their colonoscopies, making sure things are done and and reimbursing physicians who are doing those things more than those that are not. And I think to some extent, they're actually probably canceling physicians who are not doing the right thing as well. So you run the risk if you don't understand managed care and if you don't understand risk management or population management, then you may not have a job in that that area. So you're spot on there. Or if you don't, and you're with a group, you find yourself going in the hole of what you thought you were going to be able to make with that group. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's so important to make sure if you're in that kind of a group, that you understand what the reports 
that hopefully you're getting. And if you're not getting them, then you need to get them because those reports can show a massive amount for a physician of the things you're doing right and the things you're not doing yep. right. Yep. And a shameless plug for the LAMA course as well, because we, we teach physicians in the course uh, how to read practice reports, both uh, profit and loss and managed care reports that, you know, you don't have to be an expert. You don't have to be a CPA, but being able to manipulate an Excel spreadsheet or see a, a report in a simple, simple manner can definitely save, save you tons of headaches and really take, take your patient population under con- your control because you're ultimately responsible for those patients. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what do you do for fun? Cause it can't just all be CPA and, and business. It's not. My husband retired a year and a half ago and miraculously we haven't killed each other, <laughs> even though we've both been home because I've been working remotely during COVID and he's been here. Okay. But we really love traveling and are luckily starting to be able to do that. We both golf. Mm. I actually believe it or not, but this is how well my partner and I have believed in running whatever you do as a business. I golfed in a charity tournament yesterday. So I even have to be at my office to tie out 1040 extensions. Oh, that's right. Yesterday was mm-hmm. April 18th. 18th. And we had the extension because IRS was closed on the 15th for Good Friday. Mm-hmm. And so the extension date moved to Monday. Mm-hmm. And you were all, yeah, and you're um, doing a charity event, playing golf. That's, and that's I'm wonderful. doing a charity that's event. That's wonderful. And, and I love to read. I absolutely love to cook. And I have a really cute little puppy dog that is a COVID dog. I got him in the middle of COVID. And so he gets to take me outside and do walks and playtime. So those are my main hobbies. Cool. That's so, so great to have this conversation with you. It's uh, been 20 years in the making, I guess. And uh, hopefully I'll be like that OBGYN in the next couple of years after I've listened to you (laughs) beat me up. Right I'm moving in the right direction. That's right. That's right. As long as we're moving forward. So how can how Correct. can our uh, audience find you if they're interested in having them help you or having you help with them with their their finances? Well, we are still definitely looking for new clients, and I do offer a free short initial consultation. And I the easiest way to schedule that is I have a Calendly link. Okay. I think Jude had said he'd get that information out to you that will give you access to my calendar to schedule a short meeting. And then, you know, just to just that meeting to find out a little bit more about you, because our firm does want to work with people that we really believe we can help. And I believe we can help everybody but there are people who really don't want help. And so those are clients that we really aren't suited to work with. Well, I think our audience is the practice impossible audience. And we know that they, they want to do what is different than their colleagues. And I am 
100% confident that our audience will definitely engage in uh, that link if they need to speak to someone, if they don't have an, uh, an accountant. I, I strongly recommend that our audience t- does this because Jolene is such a great resource and has helped me in so many different ways, not just in the business, but also in, in some personal issues as well. So I will share those uh, that link in the show notes uh, and we'll have a landing page and, and we'll make sure that uh, we get them your information, Jolene. Thank you. And I want to kind of touch on that a little bit because because of how closely I do work with my clients because we're working with finances, you learn so many things about people and they learn to trust you, as Jude mentions, with things that are more personal related than than business related. And I've had multiple clients that have asked me, are you sure you don't have a psychology degree too? (laughs) And I think it's just because of the fact of listening to my clients and caring about my clients. And I can attest to that for sure. It's really about the relationship and it's relationships that you develop over time. And, and with, like I said at the beginning with wise counsel, and you have been such a wise counselor for, for me and, and our family. So I really appreciate what you've done for us, Jolene. Thank you so much. And we'll see you soon. Thanks, Jude.